What's up, guys? We're back with another episode of the Agogi Podcast. This is going to be kind of a part two to one that we've already done. We've got uh, Frenchie and Lucas here. We're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into, um, you know, we kind of did kind of a general overview before, but this will be a little bit more of a deep dive into your all's uh, adventures overseas. So uh, we'll just jump right into this. Uh, we'll kind of start chronologically Frenchie I know you went over there first so let's just start you know wheels on the ground on the tarmac <clears throat> Ukraine so originally what what me and Luke were doing we were we were looking into different groups to potentially get started with uh, we had no idea what was going to happen at first so our initial idea was you know link up with as many people as possible potentially help at the border or just help with training units um, we had a set date, uh, I believe it was like June 12th. Yeah, it was like the June 10th. June 10th, that's June exactly 10th. what it was, June 10th. And um, so I already got my plane ticket. He was about to get his. He uh, Unfortunately, he had to wait just because of the um, his uh, passport. passport. Yeah, it got delayed. I, you know how the government works. Right. It took at, forever. And at the time, was it how difficult was it for you to get? To Ukraine. Easy. Really? It was literally, we just bought a plane ticket, got to <laughs> nice. Poland, took a, um, put, uh, took a train over to Kiev, and that was it. Uh, the, the really, the only unnerving part was, was not knowing what to expect going to the capital. I know that uh, there was troops up in Belarus um, previously. They had pushed for the city and they failed, so I didn't know what exactly I was walking into, and I already had the expectations of walking into that with Luke right there. Right. Um, and how, just to kind of set the time frame, how long had this been after it had, the whole conflict had initially started? So the, the conflict started March. Yeah. Well, actually February 28th is, or yeah, 24th, I'm sorry, is when the conflict started. And then, um, you know, it was kind of like, it was like super balls to the walls at first. And then I know when I got there, there was a lot of evacuations going on to get out because everyone's like, oh, man, we got to get out. We got to get out. And so that's what it was super. It's super easy to get in, way harder to get out. That makes sense. Yeah. No, there wasn't much of a line to get into the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I had linked up with a couple couple guys. Um, I took my time knowing that he, he had to wait to, to show up. I, I took my time, met up with a couple different people and uh, one of the groups that I went to. I'm going to leave unnamed because of yeah. certain people in that group. Um, they're real trash bags. And, uh, yeah, but, but through I, that I don't group, think they listen to the podcast, so. No, <laughs> yeah. but. But we'll still leave them unnamed. At the same, oh, I'll drop his name, David Plaster. He's a complete piece of shit, so. Yeah, um, I had fortunate I'd have to meet the man, but I heard many stories. Okay. But when, when I originally showed up to the group, uh, it, it was him and another gentleman will go who goes by COSA, and um, he was great. 
we were just training. I was, you know, biding my time, seeing what I had to do to get into the actual military and actually go fight. Um, so in the meantime, while waiting for Luke, we started training units. Luke was available. He finally came into country, and we trained a couple units before we decided to join into the uh, 131. So did you have some contacts going into that, or did you just kind of show up like, my name's Craig. I'm here to. <laughs> we we built we built some contacts before we came out, um, which was kind of difficult because you don't know exactly what's going on or who to trust, what where to reach out to people. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I pulled was off of like Reddit, mm. um, and just there was a, a Ukraine group that was uh, helping people that wanted to go out to Ukraine. So I, I linked up with a couple of those people online. Talk to them about where to go, what to do, who to talk to, who needs help, where it's needed, where it's wanted. And um, one of the groups that said that they were actually fighting was uh, Plaster's group. And that was the farthest thing from the truth that we had ever seen. Um, he was doing a good thing at the moment, which was training groups. Um, what we were told is they were training these groups for free. And, I don't, you know, the goodness of our heart train these groups because there's a war going on and what we didn't realize was plaster is charging all these groups heavy amounts of money collecting it for himself and lying to us about it hmm. so is this an american yeah he's an american that came out to ukraine i believe in 2000 2012 uh stayed there lives there i think he's a resident now uh, he, he came into all sorts of issues when he ran into a, another man named Craig Lang, who is also wanted for crimes, uh, murder charges in the United States, um, who fled out there. They were both embezzling money with each other. So mm. it's funny that they became good friends. <laughs> and, uh, and he's well known out there. Like, it's not <clears throat> anything where I'm like, oh, bad mouthing him for whatever our personal reasons. No, he's literally known out there. Everybody knows that he does this. So it's not like anything. We're not, you know, just stating rumors. No, these are actual facts. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of people that know about him. Yeah. All right. So you're with him. Uh, obviously, that didn't last. So so where where we were staying? Um, I'm not going to give the exact location, but it, it was it was up in Kiev. It's a really good location, and the 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 man that owns the place, Dima, um, after seeing what myself, Lucas, and Koso were doing. Um, he decided that uh, Plaster had to leave. Um, what Plaster told us was, hey, we're all getting kicked out. We got to go. And when we talked to the owner, well, the owner came and talked to us. And was like, well, why are you guys leaving? Well, I thought we all had to leave. No, no, no. He said, just David, because he's a scumbag. So you guys are more than welcome to stay. So we've always had a place to stay. No matter where we go in the country, we can always resort back to the capital and staying in this location. Um, uh, I currently, and he currently has a bunch of equipment that's still there. Um, it's a safe place. And, I mean, they're really, really good people there that run what uh, was a catering company and a uh, movie business. Now their catering company is for MREs for the troops. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so after after his unit, where do you end up? So, so, so Plaster leaves. Plaster leaves. Yeah. We we trained, I think it was maybe one or two more groups. So we had a little bit more freedom with how yeah. we were going to run it. And um, we came across uh, a couple people that were in the 131 that COSA knew. So he helped us out. We went out to Ternopil at the time where we were getting recruited. Got all the paperwork done. 
Um, again, met a lot. Like networking is huge out there. You got to network wherever you go because there's always somebody that can help you in some way. Um, and it, it was Damien who was the contact for the the group in the one three one. We were going by the name of Ice previously, and um, yeah, he already put together a group. He knew the commander. He had previously served. Uh, I believe it was two thousand eighteen. Yeah. He's and out there in 2008. He's, well, he's been out there. Uh, he, he came from, you know, Syria, wanted to get in and help with Ukraine when they were going through their first initial stuff. Went out there in 18, served with those guys, and then kind of, you know, gained the trust of them, of the 131. So he got to put together his own team of foreigners. And, uh, you know, me coming in, and, you know, linking up with Frenchie and then doing a, that group and us creating our group, you know, tag just tactical aid group and then we decided to go from there from training units and we linked up with Damien so we thought it was a good fit and uh, then got that whole process taken which some people that that's probably the hardest thing is people like oh unless you go to the legion and it's kind of like okay yeah you're in but actually us going in the actual Ukrainian military it's kind of a process you know you got to go through physicals and everything like that it's kind of like going through MEPS again and uh, which that's not what we had. Oh, well, it's not that we, we we didn't care about it. It was it was it was nice that they went through that. But we thought it was like, oh, you just sign this paper and you just go. No, there's an actual waiting time and stuff like that. So it wasn't like instant. It was, um, all right, sit in this hotel and wait and wait. <laughs> yeah, if you want to join the Legion, it's pretty easy to join the Legion. But if you want to join the actual army, they're gonna vet you. They're gonna make sure that you actually have previous military experience. Yeah, because um, there's a lot of screamers. That you're trusted. Yeah, exactly. A lot yeah. of screamers. And what what was nice about joining with Damien's group is, so Damien is the the commander of the group. He's been been able to pick and choose who he wants in the group. So when we got to the group, it was nice that he had picked and chose who was already in there. And it wasn't like we were joining a group that was just full of random people that we have no idea about it was like okay well we trust Damien and Damien's trust all these people he knew them all personally whether it be in Syria or whether it be over in Ukraine so it, it was a lot more comfortable um, especially when you got to meet the guys everybody was willing to learn uh, coming from a training background that we just got done with it was like all right well we can help they can share what they have to know we can share what we have to know and it was a, a blend of uh, guys from Syria and a blend of guys from um Foreign militaries. Yeah. Foreign mil NATO militaries. Right. So is, is Damien Ukrainian or is he? No, no. He's, he's an American. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's an American uh, who, like I said, went out to Syria and helped in that conflict and then kind of just was like, hey, I'm going to go to the next one. I'm not calling anybody a conflict hopper, but, <laughs> I mean, we, we do the same, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no fault in that. Yeah, I mean, no, it's he, awesome. He saw a problem, and he decided to go out there and fix it. He saw another problem, he decided to go out and fix it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people on the internet that like to try to shit on people that are conflict hoppers, but those people that are actually involved in those conflicts and actually do things in those conflicts are, are some of the real people out there that they're not there just because it's conflict. They're there because they see, you know, what's going on, and they actually want to help. Yeah. Um, Damien's one of those guys. Hmm. So. All right. So, all right, so you hook up with Damien. Um, what does it look like after that? So after we get, because uh, we had to wait on our contracts, and, and um, you're there. Now. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I got, I, I got to. Um, oh, what? Well, let's, let's, yeah, let's backtrack a little bit. I got to um, 
you know, Ukraine. I got into Kiev in June, like June 25th, I think. And then uh, from then on, um, we, we trained for a few months, the guys, and then we started our process in, um, I want to say, se- early September. Yes. And then we got we got into the unit like late September, early October. And as soon as we get there, we go to the village that we were staying at, um, get gear, you know, get our stuff, start running, um, training for the guys just to get everybody because we don't want to go on operations and not know how to because – you know, not how to work together because they had been already ran a couple operations, nothing too crazy. Um, but so we're like, all right, let's all work together, see how we all flow, see who what positions people need to be in. So we started to do that. We did that for about, I don't know, maybe 10 days. And yeah, then, it wasn't long. No, it definitely, well, yeah, it definitely wasn't long. <laughs> and they're like, hey, we got our first uh, op, all of us together, all all of us guys. And um, so, you know, we, we – uh, we actually had a good briefing on that one mm-hmm. for the f- first time, um, <laughs> but uh, started strong. <laughs> started strong, and then fifty fifty. Um, but you know, uh, just getting ready for that op, and uh, yeah, that was a that was pretty fast paced uh, first op. I mean, it was constant movement through the whole thing. Yeah, it's it like a welcome to Ukraine. What kind of op? So it was it was uh, our first mission. Uh, we did that was a reconnaissance mission. That we were doing, and um, it was a lot of what we did um, in those first initial ops. What we did was um, linking up other, um, you know, Ukrainian units uh, because I'm not I'm not dogging the Ukrainian army or whatever, but they're not since this was such a rushed invasion. Not all of their guys are were at that time were linked up with each other. They weren't on the same frequency, so um, it was almost like they were in competition. Hey, we're gonna yeah. try to hold this better than you. We're not going to tell you what we're doing. You're not going to tell us what we're doing. Yeah. We're going to see what happens. But without communication, that's it's a huge issue. So, yeah, one of those things was too is like we had to go find out if that was in the tree line because we're going tree line, tree line mm-hmm. um, to see if those guys are Ukrainian or they're Russian, uh, which is a very <laughs> scary, um, you know, mission and, you know, objective because you're like, you're sitting there for a little bit, and it's and like I said, it was fast paced. So it's not like you're sitting there for, a, you know, you're not hours. sitting there for an hour observing. observing this you're like, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Let's see. We walk up on it, and then we oh, have we're to not, move quick. Yeah, and oh, we're not taking fire, so it must it must be Ukrainian, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I get put on a um, point for the first mission, which I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, all right, let's. I don't speak a lick of Ukrainian <laughs> or Russian, <laughs> so maybe you know. Hi, <laughs> uh, but no, it was, it was, um, it, it, even though like it wasn't, you know, you're getting engagements all the time. It was, it was very hectic. Um, of course our first mission, yeah, it's the tuck curse. That's what we like to call it. We're always going to take contact. Yeah. So when know. you were identifying those units, was it literally just, you walk up until you can tell and then you either. So no, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. You go up there and you link up with them. You get, you know. Um, at that point, obviously, our commander is going to take over because he can speak Ukrainian. But I mean, if it, if they're Russian, like he, yeah, you. So we would mark it uh-huh. uh, for future in, um, like engagements. Mm-hmm. So if we wanted to, we would mark it and then be like, okay, that's not 
you know, friendly. So we'll mm-hmm. mark it here on the map and then we'll either send it back the coordinates to where it was, mark it on the map and move on to the next one or, you know, send it and wait for artillery to come in and wipe out that just depending on it. Right. Um, so, but yeah, I'll, if they're Ukrainian, we link up, we ask how many guys they had, uh, find out their supplies and stuff like that, what they needed or, you know, who are they with, get on their, get their radio frequency so we can pass it up mm. and then, um, then find out, Hey, what do you got over here in this area? Cause they've been there for a while. So they're, they're going to know, but they just haven't been able to, you know, communicate back with anybody really. Or, you know, what's over here. Is that Ukrainian or Russian? And a lot of the times it was oh 50, 50 or like they were there yesterday, but I don't know now. Mm. So, and that was really what we we're doing. So we would go link up because, you know, we have to find out who's the most forward. And then we have to find out, you know, um, just so we can have an established like line of Ukrainian forces. Like this is where these guys are at. Don't bomb them. And everything over here is, you know, enemy territory. Trying to mm. find gaps in our defenses, yeah. trying to just make sure that they're all talking with each other. And if they're not, we're talking with them for them so they can communicate walking from trench to trench just to make sure that that defense is is set. So, yeah. And then, um, of course, side missions. Those are always fun. There's always side quests. Always yeah. side quests. It's like a video game. The, the first the first op, that, that's, of course, you know, we, we go link up with, uh, you know, one of the further elements, and we confirm they're Ukrainian. We get to the second one, they're Ukrainian, and then we get told to observe um, – forward trench line that they think Russians were in before. Well, they were correct. Um, the whole tree line that we were going down, we had to be cautious of uh, mines and booby traps, which luckily we didn't run into any issues. But it, when, when we pushed up to the end of that that trench line, um, I believe it was Damien, was it yourself that moved forward as well? Yeah, so uh, we pushed up. I was with Damien, um, and I switched with him because he can speak a little bit of Ukrainian and more Russian. It's just so I like if he can hear. And we heard guys. They were chopping woods. They were fortifying their positions. And um, we kept moving up, kept moving up. Somebody said they saw something in the front. like a, They thought it was a vehicle. So we stopped and held in place. We called up uh, one of our guys who has... Um, he, he has the, Yeah, Obi. He has the... SVD, which has an optic on it that can see farther because I didn't have my binos. Um, so get over there, and he's like, that's not a vehicle. It's a cow. So we're like, okay, cool. <laughs> so it turned out to be a cow, but wildlife gives you away. And that's mm. what people like. A lot of movement a lot because we've scared some birds, and now we have you know cows moving that weren't moving before. So we kind of pushed back. Uh, we could hear more, talk, or more talking, so we sent um, – Damien, Obi up there, and I think Commander went up there too. And um, they go up there, and they're doing kind of like a, a another little recon. Like a, like a forward observation. Yeah, like a forward observation. So they get up there, and uh, I'm back there with uh, Frenchie and everybody. I've got everybody set in security. Uh, I got him on the machine. I got Frenchie on the machine gun, and uh, we're just waiting. So they get um, – they get they receive sniper fire, so they start pushing back. So I tell everybody stand by for contact, uh, and we don't have radio, so I have to run back and mm-hmm. just tell each and everybody where it's coming from and everything like that. Then uh, 
we we pick up because we we got some intel from their previous location before, so we're picking that up and we're just pushing back. We're not going to engage. We don't. We're not big enough to engage. Um, so start pushing back, and then it was just like chaos hit. It was everything that they had. They just threw at us. Yeah, it was at first. Uh, you know, I wanted to let, take. You know, I had the machine gun. I wanted to. You know, put down some suppressive fire. Um, looking back at it, I understand why. Hidley, our commander, was like, nope, don't shoot yet. They don't know where exactly we're at. And he was right. We were able to pick up. We were able to bound back um, momentarily. And it wasn't until Macer crossed a gap in the tree line. Yeah, it was me and Macer. And as soon as you can see it on his helmet cam, as soon as he passed that open gap and they got through, that's when all hell broke loose. They knew exactly where we were. They knew that the rest of the troops were behind them. And they just let us up for a good... A couple, a minute or two. A couple minutes, yeah. And then they started, uh, luckily, they were very off with their uh, grenade launchers. They were way off. I don't know if they were anticipating us on egressing out of the tree line, but uh, we ended up moving just straight down the tree line, um, bounding all the way back until we got to our Ukrainian positions. But it it was funny. It, yeah. it was definitely a funny, that's something that needs to, still need to make T-shirts for the commander oh, yeah, on that one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, then that was the thing, too, is... Uh, when uh, our, yeah, Pidley and everybody was up front, I was next to Frenchie, and uh, he's he's unraveling his machine gun. He's like, ready to rip. And I was like, wait, we got to wait for these guys to get back first. Don't shoot yet. They don't know where we're at. <laughs> and uh, he comes, they come running back, and then I'm like, all right, let it rip. And I took off to go get the other guys. Mm-hmm. And then I guess that's when Pidley was like, no, 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 don't shoot again. Yep, no, he told me not to shoot. He just told me to start crawling. Yep. And I might have crawled a total of like, six centimeters i didn't go <laughs> anywhere um but eventually we all picked up and we just we we took off um but we confirmed where the russians were we confirmed where their trench line was we confirmed what kind of forces they had and um yeah the next time we ended up running an op and going down that area yeah we we, we snagged a lot of goodies yeah that's, yeah. that's where i got the cable and, now, and that the cable bar i got um a hat and uh we, I think one of our guys got a Russian flag. And that was the cool thing, too, is because without that, that. yeah, uh, without that, you know, we would have never been able to call artillery on that and just completely decimate. I mean, that place was decimated. Mm. It was no man's land. Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, what we're, and it seems at the time you're like, what are we doing? You know, Mm -hmm. but look at if you, you know, if you're just inside the thing and everybody, you know, it's thinking like, what are we doing? We're just walking around. It's like, no, we are, this is actually strategically helping because we just because that whole op from God, well, we get out there six o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and then we didn't leave till like eight o'clock that night, and probably hiked over you know twelve to fifteen clicks. So it was definitely <laughs> movement, and you know we linked up all those guys, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and it's good to see too because like you link up into a uh, you know Ukrainian trench. And just like the faces of the Ukrainian soldiers that have been there a while, and then now they're like, they're seeing foreigners. And they're like, you guys are here helping us? And it's like, yeah. And they're like, their motivation goes up. And I'm yeah. not saying that like we're, oh, whatever. But it's like, it's good to see, you know, that you actually have an effect on people. And mm-hmm. you're giving them motivation like, hey, we're here to work together. It was really cool. Uh, Obi ended up running into one of the guys that he had previously helped train back in the day. And the guy recognized him. And it was just like, bro, you're out here now, like, fighting with us, not just training. And you know, yeah, it like you said, it, it's it's awesome to see like what you put into it, and and when you actually receive something back from it, you know, the look of joy on some of these guys' faces when you see a whole group of nothing but foreigners 
that are in your country to help you. Uh, they, I mean, I know if I was in their shoes, I'd be pretty ecstatic. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and then, awesome. you know, and then it's just funny because, like, and war, war does this. You laugh at the, you know, craziest situations. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, uh, we're getting, you know, hit with artillery and these things are a little full of shit rounds. They're just like little spikes that are getting thrown at you. And I remember sitting in the hole and, you know, Frenchie's like, they almost got me with this one. And then he just takes one of these little things and stuffs it in his thing. And we're all just like start laughing. Like <laughs> Keeping just, that one for Just, yeah. And then, you know, before we get in the hole, it's kind of like we're just like laughing. Like, oh, this is getting closer. Yeah. It's time to get in the hole. <laughs> but, I mean, you have to. You have to have that, you know, mindset because if you dwell on death or hurt or being maimed the whole time, you're just, you're, you're not efficient in combat. Right. You just got to get over that. Yeah, we could die at any moment, but let's a little, have a little giggle from time to time. Yeah. Kind of flip that switch. Yeah. It is what it is. It is what it is. And yeah. uh, there's nothing you can do about it. You just go. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Just keep pushing. That's one of the biggest things that, that we run into when I had somebody reach out to me the other day on Instagram just asking about joining the military, uh, helping with the conflict in Ukraine. And I don't, I don't ever want to, like, discourage anybody from going out there to help, but... When you don't have a military background, I always give them the disclaimer as to I would advise you highly not to join the military if you don't have any military background. Um, with some of the other guys that were from Syria, that I would consider a better, much better military background. Like you've you've gotten into it, you've you've done what whatever it is that you've done. Uh, you know you've you've rolled around with guys in this situation, um, but Ukraine is not the place to build your military experience from zero. Right. Um, it's it's just not it's not a good idea. Like taking a pro fight for your first fight, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. That's, yeah, and I, and I'm not talking down on any of the other conflict like, like Syria, uh, you know, Afghanistan. Um, I'm not saying that I had all the best military experience in Afghanistan because I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, I you know we had little conflicts, but it, it wasn't. It's not anywhere near the same as Ukraine. And if I hadn't gone through that little, I would consider Afghan a tiny trial period of my military experience. Mm-hmm into having a better understanding of how I am and then getting into Ukraine and then realizing like, Oh, this is real war. Mm. Like that. I think a lot of people need to have that small bit of experience, whether it be from Afghan, Iraq, wherever, you know, Syria. Um, but I would not just show up in Ukraine and just, Oh, I've never shot a gun before. (laughs) I guess it's time to learn. Yeah. Because the biggest thing is that artillery, there's been guys that have, been you know dishing out the shit for 20 years but they don't know how to take it and in ukraine you're going to take it a lot of it the artillery doesn't matter how good of a soldier you are um it it can still get you you could be the best soldier in the world you could be john wick in john wick four yeah and artillery doesn't give a shit right (laughs) and that was the thing we uh i knew a guy who was out there fighting um this is when i first got in the kiev and uh, I was talking to him. I knew a guy. His friend was out there, and they were fighting him. The guy was a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps. Been through Fallujah. Um, he said he was there for two days, and he's like, I can't do this. I have to leave. Mm. He just couldn't handle And that, that's the thing. And, it, and it's going back on, yeah, don't start your career, you know, if you want to fight in right. the military in Ukraine. But, you know, people are different. You, you can have the most hardcore military veteran out there. You know, or did, or a guy. This is his first conflict, because we met a guy from Australia. That cop, mm-hmm. he just shows up, and that dude's been in it, and he was a fighter. And then you got some guy who was, you know, been through some hell before, 
and he couldn't take it. So it's like it, I, would, it, I would say that Australian kid probably has gone through more than I've ever gone through. I mean, yeah, I, we were thankful enough to be not sitting in a trench all day, and wherever that kid came from, he was probably sitting in a trench for the last six months wow. with zero military experience and doing his job probably more efficiently than. Uh, and that's that, that's the other thing. I'm not trying to like shit on anybody that's been in the the military previously. Like, oh, mm. your experience doesn't count because it does. But it's just, it's really not like one of those leveraging factors of how good you're going to do in Ukraine because, right. I mean, like I said, it, they're, they're just as efficient as anybody else from Syria. It's, it's good that we had a mix of our group yeah. of guys from Syria and prior military just for the fact that we, we all had different experiences and we could all share them with each other with tactics. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, I mean, but that Australian kid, that's one, that kid. that's one out of, I wish I could find him. Yeah, that's one out of very few people with zero military experience that showed up and actually stuck it out. And when he was back at the recruiting station, he was like, well, I just want to do more. Yeah, because like, he joined the Legion, which is, that's that's the meat grinder. Because mm. they just throw you to the front. Mm. and Very minimal stuff. And the fact that that kid did it and did wanted all the stuff more, that he did. Wanted more. Wanted more. You want to talk about a thousand yard stare? <laughs> That kid, that, yeah, that kid had it, mm. and then, you know, and then he's like, "Ah," oh. because I, I helped him out. Like I, I, you know, he's like, "Oh man, can you buy some coffee?" I was like, "Dude, I'll buy you anything in here," <laughs> just because, like, just his experience and stuff like that. And you know, I went to get into lunch with him and everything like that. And he was just like, "Ah," oh. he's like, "I don't know if they're gonna leave and let me in here because it was getting full. Like, there's there's the limits on stuff, you know, mm. contracts and stuff like that." He's like, I don't know if they're going to let me in. And he's like, I can't go home because Australia is one of those places that, you know, you're considered, if you go to like a different contact, they don't, they don't have like what the U.S. has is you can just do, you can get involved in it really anything mm-hmm. and there's no repercussions. Well, and you know, Australia and, and uh, I think British or Britain, it's like that too. Maybe they've, not they've, so much. They have different foreign policies than yeah. we have. Now I, mm-hmm. I know like, because like Macer, yeah, it's fine, fine. He's, he's in no trouble. So right. like, there's um, a there's a process for them to come home. Yeah, they they get. That you guys don't. You have. can. Yeah. It, it it can be considered illegal if you go and fight for a foreign military. Yeah. Um, but I don't know the exact laws with Australia. Oh. Um, but, but yeah, from from my understanding with him mm-hmm. being a police officer, he's in police officer. That was the biggest biggest co- thing is coming out he, out to Ukraine, and then um, he, yeah, he wasn't he wasn't going to be able to go back. Yeah, like at all. Or from my understanding, he would. Wow. Yeah, he well, he one for sure couldn't be a cop again if he went back, and two, he would he could potentially face like a couple of years in jail just for going. Hmm. So, which I, you know, I don't think that they would do it due to the fact that you know Australia has been helping a lot too mm-hmm. um, with the stuff. That's just one of those things that I think they're like ah, oh, they'll pick and choose, especially like what you did out there. But uh, it just it just would suck. I was just like, man. So if that dude's listening, you remember me? Um, like hit me up, dude. Yeah, no, I'd love to find that guy. Yeah. Hey, one question that I had that you guys kind of touched on a little bit. Um, you guys both served in Afghanistan, correct? I didn't serve in Afghanistan. No, okay. Frenchie did. I did. So, how does this conflict? How does it compare? Doesn't. Like, I've been asked that question a lot, and it, it really doesn't. Um, what people need to realize is in Afghanistan, we had air support. We had, we had all the support in the world. You could get shot in the leg and then be in one of the best facilities in, in the world uh, within 24 hours. In Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and Ukraine, I mean, last time when we got evacuated, you know, it was 
30 minute boat ride or 40 minute boat ride, whatever. Then, you know, you got a 10 minute ambulance ride. You got, you know, you get transferred to another hospital. You get transferred to another hospital. Now they're, you know, they're doing the same things over and over again. Now I didn't suffer serious injuries, so I don't know how, um, somebody, let's say like they got a leg blown off, you know, they might be directed straight to one of the main hospitals. But yeah, I mean, the conflict itself, you're, you're fighting against a bunch of ISIS, like a bunch of goat or herders. It's, you'd be lucky. Like we took mortars once from a mountainside with the cover of a dishka. And it was as simple as, okay, well, we can't shoot the mountain, but the helicopter can. Like, <laughs> and, and that's as simple as it was. Like yeah. out here, it's, you, you might, you might be in a pretty shitty situation and you try to call an artillery and they're just like, mm, no. Yeah. Artillery's not online. Yeah. We you don't know. have it right now. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, and we definitely don't have air support out there. Right. And that's, that's the thing too, is like, so we took contact in that tree line <clears> and it was like, if this was, you know, U.S. military, we would have called it in. Oh, mortars would have been on top of that before Mortar, we even yeah. got out of that tree line. We would have just sat there and observed it under fire. Yeah. Because how fast our mortars would have been on top of them. And we would hit them with mortars, and then we would hit it with close air support, and then we probably would have just, you know. Called it in again yeah, just because. Again. Yeah. Like that, and that's how simple it was in, in the U.S. military. We rolled Humvees on it. Did the, <laughs> yeah. Russian, do the Russians have any kind of air capabilities right now? They do. Um they they've they've tried getting a little ballsy with some of the jets and stuff that they've flown over, but it, it which is it's kind of comical to see. Um, one time when we were over over on the islands, we saw a jet flying in the sky, and we we're like, "Oh man, that's bad news." And we were told, "I'm pretty sure it's ours." And I was like, "Oh, that's great news." And then at the end of the day, I was like, "No, that wasn't ours." So I was like, All right. Well, luckily, nothing ever happened with that. But a lot of the time when these planes fly over the front lines, they get lit up. Yeah. Really? Um, and the, that, was that the first one? Yeah, first stop, um, we're walking. And I turn around because, you know, you're supposed to turn around every little bit during patrol. I turn around, and there's this jet coming around. And it, it, saw, it flew us over us first, and then it starts coming around to, you know, do a gun run. And I like I'm over here pointing. Everyone's like turning around, like what? And they look. And they're like, it oh, is the shit. most beautiful, scary, terrifying thing ever. <laughs> You're like, wow, that's pretty, and that's gonna kill me. And uh, so you look at it, and then all of a sudden you just see surface air missiles just shooting everything, and it's just popping flares. It's trying to get. It was gonna do a gun run, but there were so many, you know, all the tree lines, all the just, tree lines. I mean, everybody that had a machine gun or an was AK firing was, at was it. firing at it. Like there is no break. Yeah. So if you're if you're flying anywhere. You could be flying six times too far to hit it with an AK, and guess what? They're still shooting they're AKs shooting, at you. Yeah, they don't. Shooting. They do not yeah. care. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, the Russians do. They do. They get ballsy once in a while, but a lot of the time they get shot down or shot at, and they, they egress. Mm. So as far like how as far as the actual fighting <clears throat> in Afghanistan versus Ukraine, how did that differ? Obviously the artillery, but like the artillery, the drones. The drones is the biggest thing. Drones. Um, the, well, I, I didn't ever come into contact with drones in Afghanistan. I know a lot of other people said that there was drones. So, here so there. when I, when I deployed on, um, there was more drone activity due to the fact that ISIS was using them, uh, and that was a big like when I was out there. That's when ISIS was coming up with all these grand schemes of dr drones and stuff like that. And um, just to clarify, when you deployed that for everybody listening, that wasn't in the that was wasn't it was in the Marine Corps. Okay, I thought yeah. I thought that was contract. No, I well contract too. Yeah, okay. but uh, that so wanted to clear so everybody. Yes, understood. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
when we went out there, that was one of the threats that, you know, they were pushing on us. Uh, it was like, hey, ISIS is using these drones. I mean, I was out there in 2015, mm-hmm. 14, late 14 into 15, and they were talking about the drone using and stuff like that. And, uh, of course, when we because we, we went all in the Middle East because we were on a mute just pushing around. And then we went to Africa, and those were kind of sounding like, hey, you know, over here in Djibouti and stuff, they might be using drones and stuff. So drones were becoming a big thing. It wasn't until, like, contracting when it was like, oh, they figured this drone stuff out, mm. and they were doing more stuff. So that was, I, I, I was kind of used, I wouldn't say used to the drone, but, I, you know, I was more, um, I don't know what's the word. More experience. More experience, yeah. I was more aware of the threat than whatever, but now these drones are, like, they're way better. And they're not as janky, so like they're not so gonna. What kind of stuff? Uh, you you and I have talked about it a little bit, but what kind of stuff? You were you were blowing my mind, telling me all the things you could or that they were doing with drones that I would have thought was years away from. Yeah, so they're uh, uh they're using it for reconnaissance. Mm-hmm. They can fly it or they can drop, you know, um, munitions from it, like not just little, you know, hand grenades. They can drop like actual. Mortars, mortars, and so there's they the drones have just as much capability as the people do. There's yeah. night vision drones. There's there's um, infrared drones. You could say uh, heat drones. Um, there's suicide drones <clears throat> that they just send out there. Yep, mm-hmm. you could take like a small like uh, you know one of the mini drones that has uh, like a VOG on it with a pressure tip on it, and all you all they're doing is just flying it into people's buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes for both sides. Yeah. So if so anybody that listens isn't like, oh, they're giving away all the secrets. Nah, this is something that both sides do on a daily basis. Um, dropping fogs, dropping grenades. Um, and with a lot of these grenades that we use, like we use a lot of the 203 grenades, and you pop the tops off, you set up, um, you take out, like uh, there's a, a sensor in them for how many rotations that they need to rotate before they actually arm. So it's already armed, it's got a pressure tip, and as soon as they drop, they hit the ground, and they blow. Um there's quadcopters that are dropping mortars, and yeah. that's a big that's ass scary. quadcopter <laughs> yeah. flying in the sky. Yeah, and um, the the thing they're so fast. <clears throat> they're like the drones I experienced in like contracting. They weren't as fast. I mean, they could move, but like now, there's no way. Like, well, I, they like Frenchie was saying earlier. Ukrainians and everybody are just going to shoot at anything. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, they're going to shoot at it, but to hit one. Yeah. The, the craziest thing is that they don't even need to be fast. The high-powered cameras that some of these drones have, they can fly up 500 meters and observe thousands of meters out. Yeah. And so when, when people would always say, like, oh, do you hear a drone outside? No, I don't. That don't mean shit. And we didn't start realizing that until the end, till before I came back. Because a lot of the time you'd walk outside and be like, oh, do you hear a drone? No. Okay, cool. Like You go take a piss. You go do what you got to do whatever the case is. And then sometimes we'd still take artillery and it's like, what the hell? There's, there's no drones out. And it's until like you get behind a drone and you see what they're actually capable of. You'll realize you don't need to hear them for them to be watching yep. you. Yep. And they're always watching you. There's so much, there's so many of them in the sky. You think, Oh, okay. You hear a drone. If you hear a drone, it's because it's real close and it's, it's probably real, just moving. Yeah. It's probably just moving or it's like, it's it's known where you've been at the whole time, and now it's actually going to drop something. Because there, there's there's a certain range that they can drop stuff, and you're going to hear it when it's above you when it's going to drop it. But mm. they've been watching you for a while, and it's it's scary. Like yeah. it's like 
because you're always being watched. And it's that's the thing is like you're always being watched. Like now, like you know, being in like Marines and stuff like that before. We kind of had the element of like we can creep up on you, mm-hmm. element of like surprise, and they're like, "Oh, they don't know we're here." Well, that it's, was the what I was about to ask yeah. is how. I mean, it, that sounds like just real time uh, reconnaissance. Like you know, you each know where you're at at yeah, all times. At all so times, how does that change tactics? It, it just makes it harder on your on your movements. Um, granted, yeah, they're gonna know that you're there, but you can. It just goes back to like your tactics because the tactics are always evolving because you got to change stuff. You got to have more dispersion is actually needs to be a thing in Ukraine. They don't like to do it, but they need it because yeah, yeah, they, the enemy knows where you're at and you know where the enemy's at. But now you can mitigate, you know, when they call artillery, you can mitigate injuries and stuff like that. Right. Um, that and you know, just being more aware because yeah, they're, they're watching you, but. You know, if you're more aware, you can kind of, once you get to that, uh, you know, your objective, you know, you're not totally ambushed. You know, you, you've been expecting it. It's not like you're just patrolling. You're like, okay, we got five more clicks to go. I can just, whatever, not pay attention. No, you got to pay attention the whole time. It just heightens your sense of awareness when you're out there because you know you're being watched, but, you know, you can kind of be like, all right, well, I can expect this, so now I can go into action when it actually goes. Imagine playing chess, and every every time you made a move, you had to tell your opponent three moves ahead of what you were going to do. Like, hey, my mm-hmm. plan is going to move this, 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 here, here, and here. And he has to tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's how much drones have changed the game. Like, yeah. Now I know where he's going and where I'm anticipating, and now he knows where I'm going and what I'm anticipating. So it just changes the whole dynamic of the battlefield. Right. And honestly, it's a pain in the ass. It is, because... <sighs> It, it goes to show you that you're going to get in a fight. Yeah. That's the thing is, like, you're getting in a fight. You're not – you just can't be sitting on your, you know, butt the whole time. And you're like, oh, I may get in a conflict. No, you're going to. You're mm-hmm. going to You're gonna receive some sort of contact. And it just it just keeps you in that go, go, go all the time. And, hey, there's no downtime. Yeah, it may look like we need a rest, but we got to keep pushing because they know exactly where we are. And we know where they are too. But still, you know, like, when you get to that objective, you're going to get – in a fight. Mm. So, um, going back a little more to your all specific experience, um, so you're in a, uh, you said tag was the name. Yeah, that was our right? training name. Uh, so oh, when okay. we were at their training, yeah, no, 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 our, our, then we moved changed. to ice. Yeah, then we ice. moved to ice. Okay. So um, when you're, when you're with ice, that's a, that's a, an entire group of foreigners, correct? Yeah. That you're running ops within the country are you managed by by ukrainian so yeah we are managed by a ukrainian commander in the so we belong to we, we belong to the 131 which was a special reconnaissance battalion and we're the we're the only foreigners to ever be in there which is it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing mm. and uh so we get the missions from battalion our commander will come down and tell us what missions we're running and what we're going to do and then we got the um, luxury to come up with our own plans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had big, I'm going to say big army looking at us, but like we came up with our own plans, what we needed, how long we were going to be out there and everything like that. We could have that autonomy. I think that's the right word for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to do that, which was which was pretty cool. Right. Um, did it always work out that way? No, because mission always changed. You know, mm-hmm. no plan fi- uh, survives first contact. So you get out there, you're like, hey, this was our mission. 
And then the next day, it's like, no, we're going to go in this village. And you're like, okay. everything that you just planned for just went just down. Just went the down. Then. So <laughs> now you get to make a quick plan real quick. All right, we're moving yeah. in six hours. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it was on the fly stuff. Like, it would be like, hey, we're going to go do this op. All right, cool. How long are we going to be out there? Five days? Okay, cool. What are we getting into? I don't know. It's 50 50. <laughs> All right, boys, be ready for contact. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what kind of ops did you guys typically? A lot of it was a. Uh, Reconnaissance. Yeah. I mean, we are, we're in a reconnaissance um, battalion, so it would be reconnaissance and or just, um, I mean, yeah, it's reconnaissance. Yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> always the first one to the village. I mean, a lot of people would look at it and be like, oh, well, they're using you as an assault group, but they're not utilizing you as an assault group. It would be more of like a, a harassment group. You go and recon the village. If there's if you're going to take contact, you know, you're harassing them. You're, you're figuring out how many people there are, what kind of weaponry they have, what kind of heavy armor they have, um, and then you're egressing. You're not sitting there fighting five versus 20 because uh, that doesn't make sense, right. no. you know. So you kind of just answered this question already, but um, just to go a little deeper, we talked about the drones a little bit as far as the recon aspect of that, and then you guys are obviously doing a lot of recon. How does the recon that you're doing, like uh, boots on the ground, how does that differ from the intel that you get from the drones? A lot of things are hidden. So... With the drones being out there, a lot of people are trying to you know, doing the best that they can to hide any kind of equipment, um, whether it be like underneath vehicles, underneath houses, inside houses, and drones can only go so far so fast. Um, now, as a recon element, you can always bring a drone to be able to extend your reach. Um, you can get basic observation with the drone. You know, you push out 12 clicks and you need to, your, your, your objective is 14 clicks out. So, you know, you push up as close as you can, you pop the drone up, you go check it out. A uh, bunch of people fire at it. How many people are firing at it? Okay, so we know that five people are firing at it. They probably have some heavy machine guns. They probably have a couple extra people, um, but it looks to me like they don't have any vehicles. Awesome. Now you can go and conduct your actual, like, in on boots on the ground observation. Um, yeah, but it also mitigates, like, it also takes away a lot of the job of what we need to do. Um, if we could send a drone out to go do it, we're going to send a drone out to go do it because there's no reason to take five casualties when you can right. just get a drone that gets downed. Yeah. It's not a big deal. That, and you know, it's always, it is always good to get eyes on too because you can actually see the whole, like, battlefield at that point because, like you said, a lot of stuff is hidden. So, like, when we go in the villages, it was kind of like, yeah, we've got to probably send a drone, but it doesn't really tell us if there's actually still villagers here. You know, you got to right. you gotta account for that. Like, because if, if, if we go... And we just saw that the enemy was going in his house. Okay, cool. We're just going to blow that house up. But there are people still, the Ukrainians, that's their home. Like you still got to go get eyes on. Like, oh, we can't blow that house up because there's people living right next to it and they're Ukrainians and we're not trying to take any, you know, you know Ukrainians' uh, casualties, civilian casualties. And uh, so that that's another thing for, you know, eyes on reconnaissance. You can actually be like, oh, okay. Because you, you don't know what the enemy's going to do. They could be living with that family. Just to be like, hey, we're going to live with you. That way we know we're not going to get bombed. Mm. And, yeah, you see a drone coming in and out. You're like, okay, yeah, the drone picked up that there's an enemy there. Let's blow it. You can't do that always. Mm. So you have to get boots on the ground. Mm. And then you can find other stuff that's there, you know. Like, they do camouflage stuff. So you're like, oh, I didn't see this because you got to look. It's a bird's eye view rather than, you know, on the playing field. (laughs) It's like, oh, I didn't see this machine gun bunker that's right here that's holding four dudes. And this weapon or anything like that. So, there's a, the you know drones are good, mm-hmm. but they also don't tell the full story. Just like Izon doesn't tell the full story either. So this may be this may seem like a naive question, but 
it's easy for me to assume like, ah, evil Russians bad. Like they're not doing that, but are the Russians taking into account like where Ukrainian civilians are and all that kind of, or is it basic, is there, um, so I'm going to, of it a little, so with them, (laughs) well, so it, it always goes on the intent of the person, that commander in charge. I'm sure there's some Russian commanders out there that are like, hey, we're not going to do all these civilian casualties. But then again, there's Russian commanders out there like, yeah, we're just going to blow everything up. And it just goes on, you know, to that. I'm not I'm not going to say, yeah, all these whatever, they're just whatever. And they, they have done it. They've done a lot. Um, but like I said, I... I can't be like, oh yeah, all of them are bad. Yeah, I, I I play I play the same yeah mentality that he has with that, I, and I've said this on every podcast or any interview that I've ever done, which is like there are people out there that are just hey, I'm just trying to do my job, like and and, and what people don't realize, they don't have a choice if they want to do that job or not. Um, mm-hmm. There are people out there that are innocent that are doing things that they don't want to do. Uh, I'm not saying I feel sorry for the Russians. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm not saying I sympathize with them. You know, I think every every man needs to stand up for what they truly believe in. And if what you truly believe in isn't the war, then there's there's things that you can do um, against it. Um, but understanding that they do get put into these positions and then they'll have like a line of Chechens behind them and they're told if you surrender, you're going to get killed. And if you, if you run away, we're going to kill you. And you're sitting in a situation... And it, Oh no, we're getting overrun. I mean, at that point, they're just like, we're just gonna fight. They might not believe in the war. They might not believe in anything having to do with the war. Like, so there's, they there's, believe in not getting killed. They, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. That's and really what it comes down to. Is like, I don't want to die, and either I'm way, I'm gonna die. To. You know. So yeah, uh, there are plenty of very, very bad, evil people out there. There are plenty of terrible Russians out there. I'd, I'd say the majority of them are bad, um, but there are few. Uh, I've talked to a couple people from Russia that are in the military privately and it's like not knowing who I was you know we we do a lot of things online gathering intel but there's a lot of people that just don't want to be there and they don't believe in it and I mean hey if you're there sorry but everything's fair game right I think you guys touched on this a little bit last time but um sounds like uh, the Russians were a little behind the learning curve on uh the social media aspect. <laughs> oh my the, God! Yes. Yeah. To the so, situation. Obi is Obi is one one, one of my, our really good friends that we served with, and he is technologically advanced, along with um, another gentleman. We'll call him M because he doesn't want his name put out there. And um, the amount of intel that you can gain from social media, that you can gain from, I mean, something as simple as Tinder, pretending to be a woman. Yep. The amount of intel that we've dragged off of a lot of these people, and this this was very prominent in the very beginning of the war. Um, it started dying down uh, a couple months ago. They kind of caught on to that. But when we first got out there, I mean, yeah, I used that quite a bit just to, even if it was, uh, you know, you, you talk to people that lived in, in uh, occupied territory. And yeah, nope, that's my house. There's five people. There's I have friends that still live over there. Again, it's just networking. And um, next thing you know, like you have the coordinates to certain buildings, you have uh, numbers of people that are occupying those buildings. You got You're times of when they're doing operations and when they're movements. You got their time movements and everything. So, yeah, modern t- warfare. T- yeah, Tinder. Yeah, Tinder is a valuable drones tool. And yeah, dating apps. And dating yeah. apps. Yep. And then shout out to the Tinderellas. 
then obviously you have, you know, basic, you know, social media profiles. Um, a lot of these people that use their, um, on these discords and these, these, uh, big, what are they called? Um, they all have these massive pages that have it's like uh, a big messenger app, telegram, yeah. telegram channels. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these dumbasses, and this goes for everybody around the world, yeah. use specific usernames, <clears throat> and they use the same username on all sorts of different profiles. And what they don't realize is you're... Um, I'm you're, feeling personally attacked right now, by the way. Your, your <laughs> Minecraft account that you used your first and last name on and the same username is your Telegram channel name, that there's ways that we can find... What, what your actual name is. And then when we have your actual name, we can find your other profiles. And when we find your other profiles, those dumbasses put their, their, their whole, all their information on the internet. Internet's the most unsafe place in the world. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean. Even when you're trying to be safe, it's unsafe. Yeah. All it takes is one account to have your first name, last name, and then a separate account that has an address on it. And it's, it's pretty easy to find. So, yeah. Or a small business that these people are running. Like, oh, that's that's shitty that your business failed because the Ukrainians found out what you're doing for work. Right. That's crazy. Cyber attacks. and <laughs> The Internet is a, a devious place. All right. So um, moving back to your all's personal experiences, I want to ask you uh, in a minute about the big the big last one. But um, yeah. any other um, interesting, they don't have to be, like, crazy dangerous, but, like, just, just interesting ops that you guys did that are – the, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the big liberation that that would touch that would touch your soul. Yeah. Sure. Um, so it's just one of those things that like you don't realize how much you're helping until you see it on the faces. And um, like I I don't care for glory or anything like that, but just seeing helping those guys. Um, it was one like I, I think it was one of our last big ops that me and Frenchie ran together. Um, you know. We're making way into um, is liberating down li- the villages down to Kirson. Down to Kirson, okay. yeah. So yeah, sorry about that. So you know, Wait, we're where pushing is Kirson south. South. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So it's just one. We, we we're coming in, and uh, of course, me and Frenchie are behind. You know, because I'm I'm running the squad, running back and forth, trying to get you know people caught up and everything like that. And it's you you walk into the village and you got people coming out, and there it's like World War Two, and you know. France was liberated. They're throwing flowers at you. They're bringing you bread. They're hugging you. The kids are running out saying, they've saved us. We're free. And, and then they find out you're foreigners. And then you find, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then they find out that, you know, you're foreign. And they're like, you guys came all the way out here to help us. And, you know, they're, they just want to cook for you. They want to do all these things for you. They're, give, they're like shoving beds together so, you, you know, you can sleep at their house. And they, their neighbors like, no, they're going to sleep at our house. Like they're fighting over you, yeah. Just to show their gratitude, and it's it sounds it was, like in a very genuine way, it, and it is, and it's the most heartwarming thing ever. Of course, like when you're in that, you know, combat mode, I'm, you know. Of course, I'm telling the guys that hey, keep your head on swivel. There's some people out here that don't like us because there were, mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of like after you get down. I know from my experience after we got into a home, because I was still on alert the whole time. I'm like, hey, you know, we don't know these guys yet. Let's feel it out. And, you know, we got guys hugging each other, which is fine. I've hugged, I hugged a bunch of them, too. And, you know, you got us guys, you know, getting teary-eyed and, um, you know, just that bubble thing in your throat. And 
you, I, I remember when I sat down and I'm looking around because we're in this in this little like kitchen area and there's grandma's or babushka sitting in there. <laughs> I love that word. Um, and she's you know crying and everything, and you just kind of like look around and you see everybody's just this the relief on their face, and I was just like, man, that's when it hit me. It wasn't like during when we were, I was walking through the, the streets in town. It's when I sat down and just had all those rushing moments. I'm like. I'm actually glad, you know, I'm out here helping. Yeah, I was frustrated through some of the ops and stuff like that, but it's like, no, this is what I was out here for. It all paid off. It all paid off. Mm-hmm. And I'll that will probably live with me the rest of my life. Of I'll probably never feel that feeling like that again. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just I was just torn away by it. I was like, This is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not one of the persons like, oh like I seek this glory, but I loved that feeling. Mm-hmm. It, it was definitely one of those things when people ask, like, why, why'd you go out there? And, you know, I've said this multiple times. It's, it's for the people. You know, when, when um, I wanted to do something that, was, that wasn't about me and it was for, for more, something bigger than myself. You know, if I wanted everything to be about me, if I wanted the glory, if I wanted to make a name for myself, I would have stuck to MMA. I, mm-hmm. was, I was doing good, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's me. That's me doing stuff for yeah. me. And that's, that's all a very singular glory. To it is. Say. I right. mean, it, it is like, it, you know, I give all the props to the team, to my corner guys, to the coaches, to my friends, to everybody that motivates me and pushes me. But that's me in the cage. That's yeah. me holding Absolutely. a belt. That's, that's yeah. all the focus is on me. I'm this, I'm that. And you have a support like, network, but when you're in any kind of fighting, grappling, anything like that, like it's you versus <clears> him. Yeah. That's it. So. And, and, and all that glory goes to like, yes, it goes to the gym and stuff because that, that is your background. And, and, but you know, that's, that's your name going out there. That's, right. Oh, Craig they remember you. Is. They don't remember the well, foundation. Of yeah. It. The cornermen, yeah. you know, but, um, and, and I didn't, I didn't want that. I wanted, and that's why, like, that was a big reason why, like we went by different names while we were out there. Mm-hmm. Tuck was always my name because my, our names weren't important. It wasn't about us. There, there's a lot of people that went out there to make a name for themselves, to make the whole war focus on them. Uh, again, that's why we talk about screamers in every podcast. We will always mm. bring them up yeah. because it was, oh, I survived three months in the war and I'm going to go home and write a book and tell everybody how cool I am and what I did and what we're doing. It's all about me. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment of like, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about us. Like right. it's always about the boys, but like that, it it's for them, it, those people. And when they came out and they were all hugging everybody, it was like, that's, you want to know why we came out here? That right there. That was it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how political, you know, how, you know, what side you are for. When you get to go out there and actually help the people who are actually suffering, whether, you know, you agree with the war or not, people are out there suffering. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. It's like, I don't care what side you're on. I don't care. You know, what you think about anything, with your personal feelings. We're out there to help these people that don't need to be in that. They didn't ever want that. Nobody does, mm-hmm. you know. And that's what it was about. It was like, hey, let's give these guys back their normalcy right. to a degree. You know, we can't change everything, but that's what it was for. I don't care about me. Mm-hmm. I care about the, my boys. And that's the biggest thing out there, too. <clears throat> I don't, I didn't care. I was like, hey, you know, we're out here for the Ukrainians and we're out here to get the team home, you know, as safe as we can. That's all it's about. It was never about it, and that's I'll go for the whole team. It was never about an I. It was about we. 
Like, this is what we are out here for, to help. So, interesting thing you just brought up. Um, so, you guys went by different names out there. Yeah. I always assumed that was for security reasons, but... Partially, yeah. Okay. I mean, because you don't want to put your actual name out there because, you know, the Russians track down all your profiles. But I went by the name of Tuck, and clearly my social media name is Tuck Smash. Uh, before the whole thing, us even going out there, anybody that knew me on social media always assumed that was my name, and I just never corrected them. It's it was just a common thing. So yeah, it, it does it does go for security purposes, but the big thing is is like, uh, and our mentality of it was is my name is irrelevant. I'm just another person in the war, doing my job, trying to help those that need help, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to become glorified over it. There's tons of people that know me. Most of the most of the people out there know me as Tuck, and one day they'll forget that name, and that's perfectly fine. Mm. Because it's, I, I'm just, I'm not trying to have any glory from it. If I wanted the glory, I would have stayed with MMA and I would have gone pro and I would have done my best to do the best that I can. Um, but in a war, it's the only time you're going to be glory glorified is, is if you die in battle. Mm. And then people will remember your name. Yeah. And my goal is not to die in battle. Mm. My goal is to come home and help those people live as long as I can to help those people. Yeah. Right. Um, could it happen? Yeah, of course. Uh, that's that's obviously a fate that everybody needs to accept. But um, yeah, no. Too many people went out there just to make a name for themselves. Went out there to go home and tell cool stories, and right. that wasn't the goal for us. So, slight segue. Um, you you mentioned coming home, and um, um, anyway, the last big event that you had happen. <laughs> as much or as little as you want to go into on that um, that story. So with that story, what had happened was um, for the past few months, we've been doing recon patrols across a specific waterway, and um, we had gained quite a bit of ground. Uh, This op specifically, we had pushed quite a few meters, and we were placed in a a building that was the most forward building behind enemy lines. So we're down south. We were the most forward position, the most forward element of that position, and um, <clears throat> to sum things up, uh, not going to dime anybody out, any any name specifically, but I felt that we were we were left um, with that. If it wasn't for the guys on my team, like yeah, none of us we went to Ben there. The big the big issue was is uh, we had a couple Russians walk up to the house dressed as Ukrainians. They had already cordoned off the house. I had gotten my guys awake. Um, cause it was that night, uh, we, we already had two of our guys. So it was me and four other people. And, um, they made entry to the house. I got everybody upstairs. Um, and we just defended the stairwell for about 45 minutes. They gassed the ever living shit out of us. As soon as, as soon as gas got popped in the house, you could taste it. And I, I gave the guys a heads up. Hey guys, it's CS gas. Like it's not going to kill you, but this is about to suck. And it did. Um, what is CS gas? It, CS gas, uh, so this wasn't specifically CS gas, but what CS gas is, is uh, it irritates your eyes, you can't see, and it it clogs up your lungs. It's mm. small crystals that get burned. It's a lot stronger than uh, tear gas. Yeah. Like, so if you know what tear gas is, it's like times five. It's like gotcha. it's like drinking pepper spray and then spraying it in your eyes. Gotcha. And um, uh, it's bearable. It's manageable. You're not going to die. Um, mm. 
So I gave the guys a heads up. Like, probably not going to fight very effectively. (laughs) Yeah. So what we realized was the goals, the goal of um, this conflict, this small conflict was uh, they were trying to take prisoners. Um, They used for the first 20, 30 minutes, they used concussive grenades. Um, Thank God, because we ate a lot of them. Mind you, I made mistakes on this op. We all make mistakes. I'm man enough to admit it. Um, I didn't have my gear on, which I should have. And um, when I went downstairs, I grabbed an extra magazine, thank God. And, uh, you know, I, sh- I should have grabbed my helmet. I, you know, I didn't want to put my flak on because I had to tear the Velcro. We were trying to be really quiet because we knew that they were at the door. They were knocking at the door. You know, small mistakes, big deal. Um, I came out with no physical injuries, no real physical injuries. But um, <clears throat> got the guys upstairs. We're holding the stairwell. You could hear them at the stairs, and I shot the initial three rounds down the stairs, and things immediately, as soon as those three rounds went down the stairs, I was like, oh, we are in for it, because my ears were ringing. I turn around. Um, we have uh, a Ukrainian translator. Um, again, I don't want to use names, but um, he's holding the stairs. Next thing you know, they're shooting up the stairs. He's he's dumping rounds down the stairs, M has the PKM. He's firing rounds down the stairs. Um, one of the guys doesn't have his rifle, um, can't find it. It's dark. It's pitch black. There's smoke, um, and then there's CS gas. He's trying to break a window to allow some ventilation, which he does, thankfully. And then um, we got Tony. He's firing off the balcony because they're cording off the house. So there's guys shooting at us from the balcony, shooting at us from up the stairs, from down the stairs, throwing frags upstairs, throwing frags from both balconies into the house. We are getting the shit kicked out of us. Um, funny thing is, is, M brought this up to me when we were in the hospital, and he goes, do you know what you said to me in the middle of that firefight? And I was like, nah, I don't know. And he was like, you turned around, and you said, I could be playing the Diablo open beta right now. This sucks. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Yeah, I was pretty pissed off that I was, I was missing my favorite Diablo game because I was getting... Fucked up by Russians, but um, yeah, it, um, but that time, uh, basically, what I told the guys was, hey, what we need to do is we need to hold the stairs. No matter what, you hold these stairs. If they can't come up the stairs, we have a higher chance of survival. Um, if we if the stairs fall, if if we don't hold the stairs, we're all dead. And that's that's what the guys did. Myself and the guys, they they held those stairs. And I mean, not being able to see, not being able to breathe. It's dark, there's gas, there's smoke, and those boys held those stairs. Um, they held the balcony, um, a little bit of suppression. Tony ended up getting, uh, his rifle got shot. Um, he took some physical damage from that. I'm not going to get into specific details because I know that the Russians like to take every detail that I say on any of these shows, and they post it all over their Telegram channel because they they're just retarded. They try to twist everything. So, but he's fine. Um, to answer their question, yeah, nobody, no, no deaths. Everybody survived. I uh, can't say the same for the Russians. Um, sucks to suck. Few tender profiles got deleted that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, a couple of, a couple of kids are going to grow up without fathers, and that's their problem, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we held the stairs. Uh, the the whole time we were calling up for um, the other teams, the Ukrainian team, to give us some support. We need backup. We need backup. And uh, nothing was given to us. 
it went from the beginning of the fight to, hey, we need backup immediately, um, down to, hey, we just need you to shoot the bottom four. There's like six or seven guys downstairs shooting into the ceiling at us, shooting up the stairs at us, to um, our translator just telling them, hey, fire for effect, artillery on this house number. We just kind of came to the conclusion if it kills us, it kills us. If it gets them to leave, it gets them to leave. But it was a last resort. It didn't matter. But um, so... <clears throat> and were, you, were you getting any kind of responses or... We got responses from the battalion, and the battalion just seemed really confused as to why the other guys that were there with us weren't helping us. Um, mm -hmm. But they they did have comms with us. Um, they couldn't get their artillery on on target. They also didn't want to be the reason why we all died. Right. They didn't want to shoot the house and kill us. Um, that wouldn't have looked too good. So I understand where they came from with that. Um, so about, I'd say... 30 minutes into it, PKM stops firing, and I hear no more PKM. So I think M's dead. I thought he, he was killed. That's why the machine gun's not going. Um, and then uh, we we take a couple uh, – an RPG hits the house, the, the room that we were all staying in. Um, we have our translator on the stairs, myself, Pez, and Tony um, – on the balcony or like in the room to the balcony RPG hits the room um, Tony's rifles down and then um, I end up egressing over to the other balcony and I find out that we can actually jump off this onto a roof and then over the fence and potentially escape another uh, another grenade goes up the stairs or over the balcony and it's pretty quiet there's like a little bit of gunfire but it's, it's quiet and I'm calling over to the other three guys like, hey, uh, we could jump off this balcony. We can escape. And I get no response. I think all my guys are dead. So I'm sitting on a balcony for about 10 minutes contemplating, am I going to die on the balcony or am I going to die on the ground? And um, so after about 10 minutes, <clears throat> it came to the realization that nobody's watching the stairs. We lost the stairs. They're going to come upstairs. And uh, I'm done. If there's four or five of them coming up the stairs, there's a window behind me to my left. There's a door behind me to my right, and I can't defend both of them. If there was only one, I could corner myself and then potentially, but it wasn't plausible. So I, I threw my rifle on my back. I jumped off the balcony. I jumped over the fence, and uh, I crawled over to a bush, and you could hear voices. And I'm like, oh, man, I am, I am screwed. So I put my weapon on burst, and I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm going to get caught. I'm going to get seen, and I'm just going to start spraying, mm -hmm. take out as many people as I can. Um it turns out I hear the name of one of the Ukrainian commanders, and he responds, and I realize that was our guys. So I, I'm yelling to him, hey, it's me. It's like, don't shoot. I, I get in contact with him, and then two of the other guys come around the corner from the other side of the house, and uh, that was the biggest relief I've ever had. Um, two of my guys were still alive. They said that they seen the third one. Mm -hmm. He had took off, uh, which confused me as to why they didn't help him. And then... They were asking about the fourth guy, and I thought the fourth guy was dead upstairs. And he's like, all right, well, go check. So I walk back over to the house, and I realize, like, I only have half a magazine left. Um, my equipment's gone. And and there's still Russians in this house. <laughs> potentially. Like, yeah. from my understanding, like, they're still corning off the house. Like, mm -hmm. what am I doing going over here by myself? So I, I, I talked to the Ukrainian guy, and I'm like, how about you come over here and give me some sort of fucking security? 
So he does. I crawl back into the burning building up to the second balcony, and I'm sweeping the floor trying to check, see if M's up there, and he's not, thankfully. Um, we get pushed to an evac site, and uh, they, they give us a heads up like the other two guys are, are good. They have them, and that's when we get evac Now, from all those little details, when the PKM went down and I thought M was dead, he wasn't. What he did was he ended up getting a jam, and he didn't have time to unjam the, the PKM. So what he did was... He took the PKM, and when the Russians tried to come up the stairs, he threw it at them. Like, he picked it up over his head, and he chucked it down the stairs. He was with our translator at the time, and and he explained to me, like, what had happened. I just thought thought it was dead. I thought he was dead. No. He, last resort, threw it down the stairs at them. (laughs) Um, And then he had a secondary rifle to to, to maintain. Um, The reason why... He was gone, though, was because when he went over to the balcony to try to shoot one of the Russians that was tossing grenades up from the bottom floor, um, one of the one of the grenades landed by his feet, and he ended up jumping off the balcony before it blew. And uh, he ended up spraying into the downstairs floor, and I believe that's what started the egress. Um, they took more casualties. Uh, we know that our translator gave them casualties by the amount of grenades that he was throwing down the stairs at them. And then um, M jumping off... And again, just shooting into the downstairs floor where he saw the Russians like take casualties. They started an egress. The big issue with the egress was is that's when they switched from using all the concussive grenades to lethals, and then they ended up dousing the house with like four or five more gas grenades mm-hmm. and um, a thermite. So that ended up lighting the house on fire. So the last twenty minutes of us being up there, it was just smoke inhalation and more CS gas or whatever kind of gas that they were using, Jeez. which was absolutely miserable. Yeah. Um, but thankfully. Um, minimal injuries. Um, we all ended up getting evac went to the hospital. Some had worse injuries than others. But uh, we held the house to the last second. I mean, it's it's completely gone now. Um, people have been back to that position. And it's, it's completely gone. Um, a lot of equipment was lost. Um, but you all got out. So. We all got out. And, yeah, that's if it, if it wasn't for um, – for the guys that, that I was in the house with, yeah, no. When, when I said we need to hold these stairs, there was no questions asked. Um, Tony was one of the guys that ended up, his rifle was down, and he pulled out a knife. And, he, like like I said, he's he was ready to go down swinging. There's no way any he was going to stop fighting for a second. So, um, yeah, they, and that's all on them. You know, I stayed calm and collected, gave out my instruction, and, and they held the fort down. Mm-hmm. And that's, I don't think it could have gone any better than that. We all lived. Yeah. So the only way it could have gone better is if we actually had the backup. If mm-hmm. we had the backup, we would have taken out a lot more people than just two or three that were at the bottom of the stairs. Right. Well, at least you guys made it out. That's it. And, that's, I mean, and that's, here you are now. <laughs> that's a mission accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what anybody decides to say, you know, we all make mistakes. I'm man enough to admit them at least. And, uh, again, everybody came home alive. Mm-hmm. Mission was still accomplished. What happened after that, that's, that's not on me. We did what we were told, and we did, we did our job well. Right. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, you guys have been back for a few weeks now. As far as what you guys experienced there and what you hear about here since you've been back, about what's going on there, 
Well, how does that differ? What? Well, I just think it's, I mean, obviously what you're going to hear on the news and everything like that is very political. Mm-hmm. And, but when you're on boots on the ground, there's no political stuff going on there. Nothing. Nothing. It's all about your boys. That, yeah, your boys. And then like the Ukrainian people literally just want to be Ukrainians. They don't want to be Russians. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be a part of that. They've been free for this long. They want to maintain their freedom. So it's not a, it's not a it's not a political thing. They just want to be their own people, mm-hmm. and you don't get that. What everybody's making on here, like, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that. No, they just want to be free. Mm. That's that's the what I get from the people that I've talked to, and you know, just actual boots on the ground guys. And I'm not talking about just the military, Ukrainian military. I'm talking about civilians too. They just want to go and live their life like they've been living it before this, you know, invasion, and. What everybody else says on the um, news, these main news channels, it's not happening. Mm. Um, it's not a political thing for them. It's they want their freedom and they deserve it. Everybody should get their own freedom. It's their livelihood. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's why I hate these big news stations because these big news stations are all, oh, this is what is going on, and it's like, well, were you there? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what the people want. Are you them? No. Okay. Then shut up. Well, this is all they just want all of our money. They're just siphoning all of our money. Really? Because from my understanding, it seems to me like a lot of the American politics are siphoning the money over to them. And I used air quotes for that. And then they're pocketing it themselves. So if a lot of people want to know where their tax dollars are going, it's not all going to Ukraine. It's going into the politicians pockets and then they're spending it on whatever they want. It's weird how a politician can get rich on a foreign on on a on a foreign uh, foreign war. Mm-hmm. Um, I am all for conspiracy theories. I love listening <laughs> to conspiracy theories. Some of them are, are BS, but some of them are are not so far fetched. And 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 there's a reason why people label them as conspiracy theories is because some of them are truthful and people oh. don't. I was gonna say a lot of a lot of times conspiracy theories are panning out to be conspiracy realities <clears throat> these right. days. Well, everybody will label it as a conspiracy theory because they're like, oh, well, uh, that's just a conspiracy theory. It's not true. And it's like, well, that's why do you think they labeled it that? Because yeah. they don't want you to believe it. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, there's a lot of politicians in the United States that got really rich off of this war. And, uh, I and mean, it's not even just American politicians. It's politicians all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that this goes for all governments. If your government's telling you, you know, to look at this, there's probably something else going on in the background. Yeah. So I'm not saying I'm against a good government because you need government to have a functioning society. But when, you know, your government's saying, oh, we'll give you everything, yeah, your government doesn't need to give you everything. No. You kind of be like, uh, yeah, I'm not listening to that. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, and don't get me wrong. Um, like there's, there's, there's plenty of, you know, bad things that go on in every other country. Oh, you yeah. Know, there's, there's people in Ukraine that were, you know, trying to pocket money off of the war. Of course there were. Um, where do you think they learned it from? You know, that's what, what have we done for the past 20 years of conflict? We've gotten rich off of it. Yeah, we've built um, an entire industry off of war. <laughs> yeah. You know, so when people sit there and say, oh, well, they're all corrupt, man, look at your own government. There's all there's corrupt people everywhere. And I'm, I'm not trying to just completely like shit on you know the United States government. I love the United States. I like being yeah. a United States citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's certain people that have way too much power and way too much control. And, you know, that's not what the government's there for. Um, you know, maintain a good working society, good working order, and that's about it. But, uh, 
yeah, people people always complain like, oh, they're they're taking all the money and and we need it back. Right. We have most of it. We still we still have most of it. Yeah, yeah. Most of it didn't make it over there. So I know one thing. Not that I'm a huge news guy or anything, but um, it seems like a lot of the U.S. based news agencies want to act like the Russians are just kind of blundering their way through this. Is that what you guys experienced over there? I mean, it sounds a little more. Um, sounds like they were a little more formidable than maybe sometimes our news agencies want to act like. When you say blundering, what do you mean? Like, like they're kind of like they're sloppy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they're just throwing a bunch of people <clears throat> and equipment at it with no real plan. It's, That's kind of how it gets portrayed. Yeah, no, the, it's definitely the Soviet mindset, um, and that that was going on both sides for a while until um, people started going over and training the Ukrainians on way better tactics. When you realize, hey, you don't have as many people as they do, mm-hmm. so if you just go force on force, you're going to lose. Let's start, you know, for every one man, you take out five. Now your numbers are going to make more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, the Russians still use uh, another corrupt system, you know. Uh, let's get rid of all the poor people from all the outskirts of the villages so they don't keep sucking off the government, and we'll throw them into the war on the front lines with no training, crappy gear. And, you know, if you know if we send 20 people from these poor regions and they kill five, hey, well, that's more than they would have done just sitting you know, in, in their village, or that's less money that we need to spend on them. Um, they're doing the same thing. Yeah, they're sending a lot of people to the front lines as just bullet sponges, and they're getting massacred. That's why it's the meat grinder. Mm-hmm. And, um, but don't get me wrong, like, everybody always thinks like, oh, okay, the Russians are just idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They have no military tactics. <laughs> there are people there yeah. that do know military t- tactics, mm-hmm. and they are very formidable forces. They're, they know what they're doing. So when people start getting too relaxed in their trench or in their house and realize, oh, no, it's just a bunch of drunk conscripts, you're probably wrong. You might want to wake up and start paying attention because it, it takes it takes a second. It takes a second. That house fight that we got into, that wasn't a bunch of conscripts. That was a very highly trained force. And if I wasn't as vigilant as I was on watch, even for a split second, for a, a second longer, they could have been inside that place before I woke anybody up, and that would have been three dudes down before the get-go, and that means there's only two guys upstairs defending the stairs, and that means we ain't going to make it. Yeah. So anytime you think that you can relax and chill, uh, there's just a bunch of drunken conscripts, you're probably wrong. Yeah, and nine times out of ten, if they're making a movement on you, like a, a well-disciplined you know, movement on you, yeah, it's not the conscripts. The conscripts are to hold the trenches just to sit there. They're not out there pushing ops. If you're getting an op ran against you, yeah, you better, you know, nut up because it's about to be a fight. Mm. You're going to find out what you're made out of. And oh, yeah. You can, you can you can say, like, oh, they're all dumb and they're all conscripts and they don't know what they're doing. And, and, and you're going to find out real quick, you know, if they're coming after you, yeah, like you said, Luke, they're, they're not conscripts coming no. after you. They're a much better trained force. So, um, yes, the majority are conscripts, of course, but... Mixed in those lines, waiting. There's some professionals. Yeah. There's some yeah. professionals. You gotta expect the worst. Yeah. And, and if if you don't have a little bit of respect for the enemy and just think that they're all idiots, you're gonna be sadly mistaken when. Yeah. Well, that and up. also an idiot can take you out. Oh yeah. It right. happens. You know. True. You always gotta be on top of your A game. Just so. like in a, just like in MMA. Yeah. When it comes to stand up. Yeah, man. You can always catch a lucky punch. That's right. You know, some conscript just fires 
whole magazine downrange and accidentally clips you in the throat. Well, guess mm-hmm. what? It might have been lucky, but you're dead. You're dead. Yeah. Fighting just connects to everything else. So well. that's really right. Does. It really does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really does. Well, guys, I appreciate you uh, doing this. Um, we obviously love you, and we're happy you uh, made it back and hope you hang around for a while. <laughs> for a little bit. But uh, anyway, uh, appreciate you guys listening. Uh, catch us for the next episode of the Agogi Podcast. Thanks. Thank you.